You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Wisdom Cricket Weekly Podcast. It's been another tumultuous week out there in the big bad world with chaos enveloping our once civilised isle and with further resignations expected before the week is out and more than a whiff of mutiny in the air. I can only welcome to the floor Mr Edward Kemp, Wisdom.com's outgoing digital editor for the first and it pains me to say last time on this, the Wisdom Cricket Weekly Podcast. Joining us also, myself and Ed. Uh, to discuss the state we're in is Joe Harwin, magazine editor of Wisdom Cricket Monthly. And since we're recording this in the midst of the second test from Palakelli after two days of, of nip and tuck and Sri Lanka inches ahead, we'll have to tread a little bit carefully knowing that events in that one uh, could well shift again by the time you hear this. Uh, I'm going to come to you first, Ed Kemp. Um, we have you for another couple of weeks before <laughs> you're moving on to shiny new uplands elsewhere. Um uh, what has your moment been of the week so far? Well, I'm not looking too far back, but um, just uh, on day two, Sri Lanka's kind of come back uh, into that second test, led by Roshan Silva, um, just kind of showing the kind of batsmanship that over a couple of generations now, you know, we've become used to from Sri Lankan players, uh, and the test series really needed Sri Lanka to... Uh, Put up a good fight, and that's exactly what they've done. Yeah, just to explain, so we're recording this a couple of days into that second test match. Obviously, England won the first convincingly, uh, first first win in seven hundred and fifty odd days away from home. Uh, Sri Lanka have bounced back really well in this game. It remains to be seen whether England can uh, arrest the initiative back in that third innings. But as you say, Sri Lanka forty odd ahead at the end of day two when we're recording this podcast. And Roshan Silva, who's kind of been in and out the side, he's batted beautifully today, um, as you say. Uh, Joe Harmon also with us. What's been your moment of the week? Um, so mine was uh, an amazing innings to kick off the Women's World T20. Um, Harmon Preet Kaur, who has a habit of playing these. Obviously, we remember the one from the Women's World Cup where she uh, slaughtered Australia. Um, and starting the Women's World T20 against New Zealand, a big match to start that game, almost a kind of playoff for the for the semi-finals. Um, she absolutely blitzed it. I think she was 50, took her 33 balls to get to 50. 
just another 16 after that to bring up her first T20 100. Eight sixes. Um, there's talk in this tournament that the, the boundaries haven't been brought in. The grounds um, aren't big enough. Yeah, the ground, ground's not big enough. It doesn't really matter where the boundaries are. She yeah. was absolutely hammering out over the ropes. Um, and she's just incredible to watch. She's obviously got such kind of fire in her as well. We saw that when she uh, got her 100 against Australia in the World Cup and then promptly lambasted her teammate for not running hard enough between the wickets. Um, we, we were talking about this yesterday, uh, just folks, just to mention that we went to print on the magazine yesterday, so Joe and I are slightly slightly ragged coming out the other side of that, and we were uh, tying, tying the, the magazine together yesterday and talking about Harman Preet, and I said she's the, the, the superstar that women's cricket's been looking out for, and you mm-hmm. said, well, you know, is Meg Lanning, is Elisa Perry coming into that category, and I, for my money, I think... It, an Indian in this position just elevates the game um, to a, to a different kind of plane, uh, and she is she is extraordinary to watch. As you say, she's got a kind of a unique kind of charisma, which I haven't personally seen in women's cricket. And before. that's I mean, you could also throw Mitali Raj in there as well because she is the figurehead of Indian cricket and has taken that team onto to things that didn't look possible a few years ago. But I can see where you're coming from. She's not. She's not got kind of the glitz of a star in yeah. the way that Harman Preet just dominates the game, takes over a game. Matali kind of does it almost quietly in the background. Uh, and now Harman Preet's the captain of that side, taking over from Matali for the 20-over stuff and uh, really runs the show. And I, I said in the podcast last week, I think this Indian side are dark horses. I mean, perhaps they're not even dark horses. They got to a World Cup final not so long ago, but I think they're, they've got a good, uh, got explosive batting, mm. Smriti Mandana as well, yep. um, unbelievable talent, um, got good spin bowlers to see the conditions out there. I think they might push Australia and England um, really hard, actually. Yeah, I think it's a good shout. Uh, we'll come to England's uh, campaign so far a little bit later uh, in the show. F- for my money, my moment of the week, uh, I was I was sitting, uh, watching the TV yesterday morning, just finishing off the... Uh, the, the last few few lines for the magazine and watching out the corner of my eye um, what looked like a nip and tuck kind of test match until Sam Curran came out to bat. Uh, this is his seventh game and I, for my money this is his fourth significant intervention so far. Uh, and yesterday's was was peak Sam Curran. Six, six is one, four I think. Uh, brought up his, his third 50 in test cricket with a six. Uh, as he's repeated in the previous two fifties, first time in history. Mm, first time anyone's done that, yeah. Uh, and for a, for a kid that's not especially well, you know, stripped and, and built and hench and all that stuff. He's not a kind of modern Jim Bunny kind of cricketer. He hits a, a ball as cleanly as anyone I've seen, and it goes a long, long way. He's hit fourteen sixes in his seven Test matches so far. We've watched him. Uh, at the Oval for the last two or three years, and we've heard what people have been saying, that he's a batsman who will bowl in the fullness of time. We didn't, in our wildest dreams, imagine he was some kind of proto-Stokes with a bat. We thought that he would be a technician in, in there at number five or six, potentially, from what we've seen. It's revelatory to see this kid go out and play. Um, and there's a purity to, to his game as well that, that is irresistible. Uh, and there's, a, there's also a kind of audacity to it all as well. But that not particularly as well. It's almost come too easy to, for Curran so far in Test cricket. Everything's looked so easy. But that innings did not look easy at the start. He really... Yeah, he was five st- from 40-odd balls. Yeah, so I don't know if he was even necessarily struggling, but he was playing the situation, yeah. knew that England couldn't afford to lose another wicket at that point, and was prepared to block. So he's not playing impulsively. He hasn't got only one way to play. He doesn't have to play the shots because that's his method. He showed that he can... Tough it out when he needs to, and then open his shoulders when he was running out of partners. Uh, and it was, yeah, hugely impressive. I think you're right, Phil. We've Cheers. heard, we've heard uh, from Surrey coaches and what have you, 
it's the level of talent. That's what they say about Sam Cohen. He's just super, super talented. And yeah, clearly he's a young guy who's doing incredibly well. But on one side, you could say, well, actually, he's a guy who bowls mid-70s, you know, picks it up and swings it. And as you say, formally, you're saying, yeah, he's got a good technique. But actually what we're seeing now is it is probably the most natural and easy-looking backswing to hit massive sixes um, that, uh, of anyone that you've seen for a while, I would yeah. say. Yeah. He makes it look unbelievably easy. Yeah. Um, and th- there's also, if you watch the first bit of his innings at Edgbaston, where that match turning, and probably series turning, although it, be it, it was the first test, it was such a critical game. The first 30-odd, 40-odd deliveries, he was technically secure in under leaden skies, uh, when the when the ball was doing all sorts and he stays side onto the ball, he hits through the V. When he's playing within himself, when he's playing defensively, he looks like a top five batsman to me. And then when the game change changes and the circumstances change, then he he lets go. Uh, and there's a real purity to the way that he plays. Um, I, I I fear that as we go down the line, the bowling becomes slightly more exposed at Test level, and then. As you've seen, say, with Bairstow, and, and if you remove the gloves from Bairstow, then the pressure suddenly gets lumped on his shoulders as a batsman. I, I can just envisage down the line with Curran that we can get to that point. Uh, the thing is, though, from what we've seen, he looks like a player who just will bat in the top five he in al- test cricket for many, many years. He also couldn't have arrived at a better time because the way England's side is set up at the moment, if the bowling isn't working out for him on a certain day yeah. or a session, he doesn't have to bowl that many overs. Uh, and actually, there also aren't that many top-order batsmen demanding places outside of the current group. So you can almost, as they have done out, out in Sri Lanka, pack the side full of all-rounders, and Curran can be what you need him to be on the day. And I can't remember one of the Surrey players was saying to saying to you, might have been, was it Rory Burns? Saying the impressive thing about Curran uh, is that every he always single, has an effect. He always does it's something. Gareth Batty, he Gareth always Batty. has an effect. Whatever it, whether it's in the field or whether it's ball yeah. bat, he always does something in a day. Yeah. Uh, and that when you've got a player like that, you can't, you get to a point where you can't really leave them out. Yeah. Should we plug the magazine, Joe? Why not, right? So, uh, four people on the on the upcoming issue of, of Wisdom Cricket Monthly. Uh, Rory Burns, Ben Folks, brilliant debut 100, of course, last week in the first test. Uh, Sam Curran and Ollie Pope. Um, there's a connection there. Uh, they, they all play for Surrey. Surrey are bouncing, bouncing along, as we know, in county cricket. Now, we spoke to two of those. We spoke to Burns and we spoke to Pope. Um, and we also spoke to a couple of people who know the other two, and one of the, one of which was Neil Stewart. Neil Stewart being the the older uh, brother and cheekier brother of Alex Stewart. Now Neil Stewart's worked at the Oval for twenty, thirty years, bringing young cricketers through. Rory Burns credits him for being the most important batting coach he's ever had. Uh, he saw Sam Curran as a fourteen, fifteen year old, and we interviewed Neil Neil Stewart about this. And when Curran turned up with a big reputation, in part because of his older brother Tom having said, my little brother's better than me, you wait till you see him. And Sam came over from Zimbabwe on a scholarship to Wellington College and Neil Stewart in the indoor net saw Sam Curran and he said, after three or four weeks, I thought, what's all the fuss about? And then they had an organised competitive game. So they had some standard nets and he said, just a, a young kid, technically all right, bowls a bit of medium pace. And then they had a competitive game. And then he saw what all the fuss was about. There was a there was a spring. There was a kind of vigor and vim in the way that he went about his game. Uh, and suddenly he could see the emergence of this this absurdly brilliant young talent. Um, and 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 this is kind of a story of Sam Curry. He creeps up on you. We we watched it. We watched his debut here, and we thought, "Oh, who's that little kid at mid on?" Yeah. You know, it's like a, a YTS game thing. And. Then he comes into bowling, took eight wickets on debut in 2015, then went back to school. Went back to school literally two days later. We've, had, we've really had a, a nation of 
cricket supporters have had the same process as Neil Stewart describes there, really. Yeah. And that there was yeah. quite a lot of people on Twitter ready for him not to be able to take any wickets. The, the, the great yeah. Tim, Tim Wigmore, of course, you know, who, who no doubt we listen, uh, legend of our game. Uh, he, he was out there and he was saying, oh, and Sam Curran's coming on first first change, you know, and Australia got Pat Cummins bowling first change. Uh, 20 minutes later, we'd taken three Indian wickets and swung the game towards yeah. England, you know. But he was, we should say, Tim was not the only one. And no, People sure. were thinking that way because... Sure, you, you never miss a chance to, to name him. <laughs> <no>. <laughs> um, OK, Ed Kemp, uh, Ben Stokes at three, uh, talking of England's flexibility. Um, obviously, he was promoted after the first test, having about, about at five. Mo and him have swapped places. Uh, what do you think about Ben Stokes at three? Not just for the next couple of test matches, uh, in similar conditions, of course, in the West Indies. But down the line, down the line, next summer, Australia are here, so on and so on. What do you think? So, I suppose the, the underlying point to make, obviously, is that England do not have a nailed-on choice for number three. Well, so they do, we, he just won't do it. Well, yeah, exactly. They have the captain, but <laughs> as you say. And it, funnily enough, this is one place where arguably he could have said, oh, actually, I'll bat three, but there we are. Um, I think, so I wouldn't have put Moe in at number three anyway myself, um, although if it's purely a case of, yeah, we don't think you're good enough to bat number three, it seems harsh to do that after one test in the series. Yep. Hopefully it was spun more as, you know, you're getting through a lot of overs and you took eight wickets kind of thing. Um, so I think of the options available, obviously in this series they were never going to pick um, an ed, you know a specialist batsman, you know, and affect the balance of the side in this second test really. So it had to be one of those kind of all-rounders or wicket-keepers. And I think Stokes probably of those ones is, A, he's not had a go yet, mm-hmm. and B, he, he is technically very sound. And obviously what he did last uh, summer uh, against uh, the moving ball was very impressive. So I think he has a shot at being the long-term number three. And I, th- I like the fact that they've picked someone who, uh, they've put someone there who actually he might be able to do it next um, yep. summer, which the best one in the world, mowing against the Aussies, is not no. going to happen. Joe? Yeah, I mean, he plays fast bowling as, as, any, as well as anyone in the England side now. So... Um, I think it's a good pick for now and I think it's potentially a good pick for next summer whereas Butler I think could have done just as good a job at three in Sri Lanka but wouldn't have wanted him at three in the Ashes. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think there's some there's some kind of future planning whilst also making sure you've got your best side. Do, 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 we, do we run the risk of losing the thing that makes Ben Stokes so special as a, as a cricketer? That freedom, that, that liberated approach. Personally, I that think... That otherness that he brings. In the England team that he's been playing in recently, batting, batting at five, He's often in early against the swing ball anyway and playing yeah. these knocks. So I don't actually think if he's going to bat at five in this team, that it makes that much difference. Yeah, okay. And also, yeah, and at three, he can dictate the position of the team before, yeah. rather than it's, having to it's rescue It's different it. from Curran at eight, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. Stokes, when he was started out batting six or seven, mm-hmm. that's a different thing, batting with freedom. But if you're going to bat in the top five, I think you have to be a, an all round player regardless. Yeah, and we, ha- we have seen a slightly more inhibited Stokes since he's come back from his, from his troubles. Do you think that was linked? It's hard to say, isn't it? I don't know if there's a, even sub, subconsciously, a, de- a determination to show responsibility. And penance. Yeah. I, I, it's, it's, it's how it's, I felt it's when I watched it. things which just, you, can, you can only guess, can't you? But there has been a, it, a it, He'd probably tell us we're speaking bollocks, of course. No doubt. No doubt. <laughs> we probably are, not for the first time. I think, <laughs> I think there is at least something in the fact of how, regardless of the public or anything, he feels that guilty for, to his teammates that he wasn't there on that Ashes tour. So he is, and he, you know, he's obviously a very team-centric sort of a guy. So I think there's something in the idea that he wants to make every additional effort now to uh, not be letting the team down and do whatever he sees is right for the team in that moment, and therefore, you know, showing a 
Great God, I'm going to miss you, Ken. That was beautifully done. All right. Um, the women's T20. Uh, it's been a, a slow burner of a start. Is that fair? Well, we had the explosive start of Harman Free Core, and yeah. then since then, um, through a bit of bad weather, some slow pitches, uh, some slow outfields, and some mismatches as well. That's that's the other thing with with women's cricket at this stage. There are some mismatches even amongst the top nations. And is that a consequence of the professionalism at the top end of the game versus the inevitable kind of amateur structures that exist, say, around India, uh, around Ireland? I and think so it is. On. I think if you think that just even looking at the England and Australia sides over the last few years, how much they've progressed, having the big bash, having the KSL, there is that danger that you that you leave the rest behind. And we have we have seen that in a few matches so far. Um, it's, there's been low scoring games which have been quite intriguing as well. West Indies. Um, fighting back to beat South Africa, yeah. which is the key game in England's group. England having had their game against Sri Lanka washed out, which was potentially very damaging for their hopes of qualification, managed to beat Bangladesh in a um, rain-affected game. Because if they'd had two rain-outs, they'd be in trouble, right? They would have had to win their last two games, and even that might not have necessarily guaranteed their progression, I think, depending on other results. So just to clarify, then, England's, England's situation, they play uh, the West Indies on Sunday night, and they play South Africa on Friday night. Yeah. Obviously, two wins and they're fine. Yeah. Do they need two wins to be fine? Not necessarily. I think it, it will depend on other results. Um, but if they lose to South Africa, then they, they'll they face a must-win game against West Indies, the home side, the mm. reigning champions who've beaten South Africa a few days previously. So it's a situation they really don't want to find themselves in. I'm doing and, that game as well. And it I'm is it is an ex- inexperienced team they've got. I mean, we were talking earlier, three three debutants um, in the opening game of a world tournament. Yeah, Kirsty kind of Gordon, fun. Lindsay Smith and Sophia Dunkley, two left-arm spinners uh, and a middle-order bat. Yeah, um, quite a brave call, right, Ed, to go in with three three debuts. It is brave, but it does speak of where England women's cricket's at in terms of its increasing professionalism, uh, the you know the pathway structures that ECB would talk about, and therefore how many uh, alternative players they've got to choose from. It's, I suppose, the argument is, you know, they've performed well consistently in the KSL, and therefore, although they haven't got international experience, they've got big game experience in front of, let's face it, bigger crowds and some international games. Um, you know, in the past. So uh, I guess from Mark Robinson's point of view, it wouldn't feel like a risk, really. He's just said, look, we've got all these good cricketers. Let's pick the ones who are in form and have got experience winning games in T20 cricket. Mm-hmm. Well, hopefully um, we'll all get to know uh, these the individual qualities of these of these new uh, new players. And hopefully Darren Ganger as well, the uh, the, the commentator can pick, pick up a few tips as well because he interviewed who he thought was Kirsty. Uh, no, who we thought was Sophia Dunkley yeah. after the game. Um, it was, in fact, Kirsty Gordon, and she'd got player of the match. Which was bizarre, because Sophia Dunkley hadn't batted or bowled in no. the game, and he knew he was doing a player of the match interview. Yeah. So I can only assume he hadn't actually watched the match. Either. Yeah, tr- tricky. Um, so, yeah, Gordon's <laughs> reputation as a deadly finisher, uh, honed playing for Surrey Stars, was a bit of a shock to her, considering she's never played for Surrey Stars and she bats number 11. But, but hey-ho, I'm sure they'll figure it out in the end. Um, Australia have been... Predictably solid and dominant. Um, uh, they saw off New Zealand a couple of days ago. Uh, is is there any way that they won't be making the final? Um, I think I'll be I'll be very surprised if they're not in that final, particularly as they're due to play. I mean, if we assume England win the group, which is very much an assumption at this point, then they'd play South Africa or West Indies, which in theory is the weaker of the four teams left in there. Whereas England then could be up against a more challenging game of, of India. Australia have been very dominant so far, uh, thrashed New Zealand in a T20 series prior to the tournament mm-hmm. as well. Looking very strong, and I think they were favourites before the tournament, and I think they've only kind of enhanced that 
over their performances so far. When you watch them, particularly in the field, they do just, I know it's a bit of a cliche, but they do just look like a well-oiled machine. Mm-hmm. Um, they do, you know, they've got, uh, they know exactly which bowlers they want to use when, they're, they're good uh, in the field throughout. Well, they did make a few errors in their first game, but, you know, they've got, you know, athletic fielders all over the ground. And then, you know, Alyssa Healy at the top of the order with the bat is absolutely smashing it. Mm. Uh, so, you know, they've just, they've got such depth. They also, they value pace more than, the other teams that I've seen, Australia, they, they they back pace. You know, Perry and Shutt and and other characters like that. In a way that you don't get that impression with other teams necessarily. And it seems okay. England's hands was hand was forced because Catherine Brunt, uh, unfortunately and personally, you know, I really do wish her well because she's one of my all time favourite cricketers. She she was out of the picture on the eve of the tournament, so England lost that kind of seam bowling presence. But they bring in two left arm spinners now. I know you're playing in the West Indies and the conditions work better with taking pace off the ball. But I, I like a team that goes in there with a bit of pace, goes in there and dares to, to wang it down there, you know. And, and there's a kind of refined nature of women's cricket that, that, that I respect. But I also like it when, uh, when, they, when they throw it out. Throw and, it out and actually, bit. although all the attacks are spin-dominated, it's been interesting. Um, that actually, a lot of the seamers have had uh, a great deal of success. Uh, the left arm opener for Sri Lanka took a couple in the first over yesterday and a few days ago uh, actually Pakistan's best bowler was Ali Riaz who bowled him with quite good pace and that's the, as, uh, the only seamer in the attack mm-hmm. so these pitches don't preclude uh, quick bowlers from being successful in the women's T20 mm-hmm. Just as an aside um, obviously England go out to the West Indies uh, in the new year to play three more test matches um, do you think it's going to be similar kind of conditions to what they've encountered now? Do you think that it's going to be slow, low Difficult to score, sticking in the pitch, and therefore we're playing three spinners at the minute. Uh, do you think can we see the same playing out across the whole of the winter? Yeah, I think so potentially. I think particularly if, if they get a series win in Sri Lanka, they won't be particularly inclined. They won't want to change it, and if there's good reason not to, mm. in terms of the conditions, they'll stick with what they've got. Root said how much he liked the option of having six bowlers, and and it it does free up particularly if Stokes is going to bat in that number three position. Yeah, he can just give you some fiery overs when you need them, and and not really be a, a front run front line bowler. I suppose the obvious change potentially wouldn't it would be the Leach position for one of the other seamers, Broad or or works that would be except the way Leach that... appears to have overtaken Rashid, I think, but and... from the batting line point of view, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. Well, we shall see. Yeah. Um, elsewhere around on planet cricket, well, Zimbabwe uh, that we touched on last week in the pod on the podcast, um, they won that their first Test match against Bangladesh, their first game that they'd won of Test cricket in five years, and I think their first overseas win since two thousand and one. Incredible result, really. Uh, the series was recalibrated. Bangladesh came back to to take to draw the series one one, um, but the result for Zimbabwe equals. England's last effort out in Bangladesh and Australia's as well. Um, I know, though, that Zimbabwe have... This is their first Test Series in a year, um, but, and there's few and far between Test cricket coming up in the next few years for Zimbabwe. We also have, of course, the World Test Championship that begins next year. Zimbabwe is not part of that top nine team, so they won't be a part of it, but they, they are still involved in the ICC's uh, Future Tours programme. India are... Offering them a test match next year, which will be an enormous cash cow for a cash-strapped cricketing organisation. Should more be being done, or pragmatically, do they even want to be playing that much test cricket? Well, certainly, Tristan Homer, Zimbabwe correspondent for Wisdom Cricket Monthly, has said test match cricket is not their priority. They want to be playing white ball cricket. And Ireland, whisper it, are in a similar boat, financially. Yeah. And that's it. It's just too expensive to host these, host these games. That said, like Australia doing up, 
Jonathan Liu um, wrote uh, another columnist of ours for w, WCM, uh, wrote that he thinks it's overdue that England go over there with a changing political situation with Mugabe gone. This is the time that England can go back out there because they've had some fantastic games over there in, in, yeah. in many years ago now. Um, no sign of it up to 2023, incidentally. Right. Neither Australia nor England will be going out there. Right. So, And we don't know, I mean, if Zimbabwe aren't really... <laughs> inviting teams to go out there then maybe that's not the that's the call but they could still I think England could go out there for a, for a one day series yeah. just the always the question how do you how do you fit it all in and that's that's always going to be the problem and Zimbabwe really are probably going to spend a lot of time playing Ireland Afghanistan well yeah and looking at the future uh, tours Nepal, that's, there's Hong a Kong, lot of that possibly, kind of cricket yeah not in test cricket obviously but in the one day stuff uh, stunning result though and uh, rousing to see, I would say, considering that Zimbabwean cricket has been written off more times than we can care to. So you got enough loyalty to the cause to go back to it, um, and to leave the the cash of county cricket behind suggests that there is there's at least some optimism to build on there in Zimbabwe. Uh, elsewhere, uh, Australia won a game, Wee! but then they <laughs> lost another one uh, quite comfortably. So South Africa took that ODI series. Um, do you want to put the boot in, Ed Kemp? Well, it's not really your style. It's uh, obviously <laughs> privately, you know, have, have your own thoughts about seeing Australia. Oh, go on, make, make them publicly. Again. Go on. Um, you're, out, you're out the doors soon enough yeah, anyway. Come on. You have to try and control yourself as an England fan and not, and not gloat too much, I think. Because nah. we know it's never too far around the corner that uh, it's coming back at you. But obviously, <laughs> it's, um, you know, Aaron Finch has been pretty honest. He's been pretty clear that, you know, he would actually quite like the makeup of the team uh, to change, perhaps significantly. I mean, let's face it. The, the, the issues in white ball cricket have been going on for a long time. You know, this is not a new thing, mm-hmm. uh, and it's not just a post uh, Smith and Warner thing. Um, this is it, look, it looks like quite uh, the bowling aside when they've got their quicks available. That's a strong bowling attack, but the batting lineup doesn't actually look like a very strong. It's not like they're underperforming massively. I don't think that just doesn't look like a very good fifty yeah. over batting side now yeah. to me. They don't bat particularly deep. I think they've won three in twenty. By my maths, I think it had been two in two in eighteen, nineteen. So I think three and twenty they've 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 won in the last the last year or so. So it really is crisis time for that that that, that white ball side. The question for me going into a huge uh, winter series for them against India, India have never won a Test series out there, uh, but Australia have got half a team out, of course, infamously. Um, do you see Cody finally turning them over? I think it's really exciting because almost whatever happens is an interesting uh, result. Yeah. I think yeah. it would be fantastic, I have to say, to see uh, India go there and win. And I don't just say that as a bitter England fan. Uh, India to go and win because you kind of have the sense that actually this squad sort of deserve a bigger away series yeah. uh, win. You know, they do have players they were a bit... And cricket know, could do with it as well. Yeah, I think so. But, you know, actually... Almost regardless of who they've got in the team, Australia are difficult to beat when they're at home. And, you know, we, we thought that last winter's Ashes series would be, or a lot of people did at least, be fairly close. And the bowling attacks absolutely hammered them. Now, obviously, they won't have Smith in there, but there's every chance that they'll be in a, in a lot of these games, Australia. So I still think... They will still be, have the quicks. Exactly. They'll still have Pattinson the quicks. And they've back. got a couple of batters who you think... You know, obviously they've got the in the collapse, but they do have a couple of batters as well. So I think it would still be a great achievement for India to go there and win. I think India go to Australia with a stronger pace attack than, than England offered. Yeah. Um, though, and I think that I think Umrah will be a real weapon there. I think Yadav as well uh, has been bowling really well recently. Uh, they've got real variety there, and I think I mean I'd be surprised if Australia win that series. 
Um, I think this is the time that India will do them over. Mel Jones, another columnist of ours in the magazine, said Australia have never faced such a difficult test series uh, at home. And I think, that's, I think that's right when you look at the quality of the opposition and the off-field mess that they find themselves in. Mm. All right, folks. Um, looking forward then to the next week, um, ignoring what's happening up the road in uh, Westminster, if we possibly can. Uh, what are we looking forward to, first of all, uh, Edward Kemp? Well, um, we, I was going to say I'm really looking forward to seeing um, the beginning of that tour next week. So India start playing their T20s uh, next week. Obviously, um, we've talked about Australia's uh, white ball struggles, but just the fact that that cricket's kicking off. and We have a, a winter of, well, for us in the UK, a winter of, of cricket in Australia with a really exciting India team to look forward to. I'm, uh, I'm excited about. Mm-hmm. Joe Harmon? Uh, well, we've touched on it already, but um, I'm looking forward to the new issue of Wisdom with Cricket Monthly mm. coming out. It's which really good, isn't it? It is a good one. It's packed full of stuff. At one point, I did wonder if we'd done more pages than we were meant to. Work out how we'd fit it all into 100. What's your favourite bit? Um, so, I would say the uh, another big feature in association with Crick Biz um, on the golden age of pace, or the new golden age of pace that we find ourselves in. Uh, not talking about rapid pace, but we're talking about seamen such as Mohammed Abbas cleaning up um, with historically good stats. Averaging um, 15 per wicket at the minute. Averaging 15 per wicket. Um, extraordinary stats. So what we've done, um, without going into too much detail, we've analysed the skills of the best 25 pace bowlers over the last two years, um, ranked them for you, uh, and given some kind of in-depth analysis of how they take their wickets and why they're so difficult to face. And by this measurement, we've got uh, an interesting number one, haven't we? We're not going to give it away. No, we won't. We won't. But I think. But it's not Rabada. That's what shocked me. It's not Rabada, and I think the the list is kind of pretty much as you would expect it. Apart from you've got a surprise at number one, which I think gives it um, a bit, a bit more sufficient credibility. credibility. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. That said, we'll be putting our tin hats on when the magazine does come out next <laughs> Wednesday, stroke Thursday. Um, what are okay. you looking forward to, Phil? What am I looking forward to? Well, it's got to be Friday night upcoming and uh, Ed Kemp's leaving drinks. One song. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, what, what more can be said? Truly, Ed Kemp, it's been a pleasure. Um, best of luck wherever you're going. I only mean that slightly. Um, and whatever you do, don't stop writing. I've been Phil Walker. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe and tell your mates. Uh, we'll be back next week. Podcast Network.